This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by Kopma Cranes, the most competitive knuckle boom crane for the tree care industry. Unleash your full potential with Kopma for tree care. Kopma Cranes are built for heavy duty applications with the best hydraulic technology to maximize your reach and lifting capacity like never before. Kotma's tech team, together with the unique know-how of tree care professionals, has developed the ultimate top-range cranes models for grapple saw applications. Extra functions to the tip with no diverter valves are making it ready for the grapple saw. Kotma represents the edge of mechatronic innovation thanks to superior oil flow with 5 8 inch hoses directly to the grapple. A true 100% stability at 360 degrees angle with the possibility of Kotma Remote Connectivity 4.0, a unique GPRS communication for diagnosis and remote adjustment of parameters in real time. Kotma cranes have been built since the 60s with the highest grades of steel resistance and the most reliable and advanced Italian design and engineering made to outperform an intensive use in the field. Visit cpsgroup.com for more information or contact your local Kotma dealer. Samson is excited to introduce V24, the next level in premium double braided climbing lines, providing high strength and low stretch. V24 was engineered so the core and the cover work in unison, ensuring the same high quality and performance that you have come to expect from all Samson products. In addition, V24 provides excellent knot holding, foot locking, and works seamlessly with climbing hardware. Available in 11mm, 12mm, and 13mm, all sizes are CEEN 1891 certified. For more information on V24, visit samsonrope.com or contact your local supplier. Bobcat small articulated loaders fit within tight boundaries and they work beyond the limits. Their impressive lifting capabilities are housed in a machine that easily works inside fenced in landscapes, small lots and more. They're the ultimate tools for tree care professionals. A tight turning articulation joint allows precise maneuverability and a telescoping lift arm on the L28 model extends your reach to grab or dump materials in tricky areas. An automatic turf safe traction mode limits the chance of cutting into the turf while you work. The wide variety of Bobcat attachments helps you handle whatever the job dishes out, whether it's moving logs, digging, hauling dirt, or clearing snow. With Bobcat quality, comfort, and performance, this machine fits right in and rises to the challenge every time. To learn more about small articulated loaders or to check out the full Bobcat compact loader lineup, visit bobcat.com or see your local dealer. I'm Josh, that's my nickname. My name is Joshua Hundertmark. I'm from Germany. Um, arborist since like almost uh, 14 years now. Came into the arboric culture industry by my dad. He's a gardener. Um, I went the typical like German proper way to become an arborist. I, I went for an apprenticeship for landscape gardening. It's, I always call it concrete gardening because that's basically what you do. You put concrete into gardens and pretend it's green. Um, and like, it was like really boring. So I 
looked into other like perspectives and like other niches inside the industry. So I found the uh, some climbing arborists nearby, watched them, visited them, and then I moved from a little city to the big city Hamburg in the north. Went through another apprenticeship, like an unofficial apprenticeship because we don't have an apprenticeship for arborists over here. So I worked there for three years. Uh, had like a tiny burnout, went to India for five months and afterwards got self-employed. And since 2012, I'm self-employed with my own little tree care company. Like it's basically me and 10 other people like in the network, like everybody's self-employed and we join each other for like worksite and different jobs. And since three years, I work for Coran in like development, marketing, help them with this and that. And that's also where I met Peter because we like share the Coran vibe. Um, so I'm Peter DeVries. Uh, I live in Ontario, Canada. Uh, I've been an arborist uh, since 2014. So a little bit shorter time, but I've been in the green industry as a uh, landscaper, landscape designer for uh, over 20 years now. Um, re uh, got into uh, the trade uh, via uh, the municipality that I work for and got on the, the forestry crew there at City of Sarnia. Uh, just recently left there to pursue uh, my own thing through my own company, Designs by DeVries. I do custom uh, rope splicing for arborists all around the world, as well as for a local shop here in Ontario called Maple Leaf Ropes. And like Josh mentioned, um, since last year, uh, I've been working for Courant as well, and I'm looking after the North American sales market. So that's in a nutshell. I could go on for a lot longer, but <coughs> let's get to the questions. <laughs> Well, let me step into the mix. I'm Chucky Anderson. I'm the staff arborist at TCIA. Super excited to be talking to both of you guys today. Um, I guess my first question to, to either or both of you is um, <clears throat> Courant. So Peter, this is your, your endeavor. How long have you been uh, working with this? And can you tell me a little bit more about it? I really don't know what that is. Yeah, so uh, I've been in communications with with Courant since 2018, um, and then in 2019 I became one of their ambassadors uh, here in North America. And last year I was offered a position uh, to work for them to uh, start the uh, Courant brand here in North America. They had a very small um, piece of the market here. Only bags were coming over, but they have a full range of, of tree gear. So they have ropes, bags, harness, slings, um, you name it, they, they have everything. So I started to um, link up with certain key dealers here in Canada as well as the, the USA. So I've just continued to grow that brand here and, and the goal is to continue uh, that over the coming years. So Arbor Supply based in Europe? Company from France, like since uh, 1825, they are in the rope industry, like shipping like for ships in the beginning and then it went to industry. Like now it's like all 
I always say like dinosaur ropes because it's all from plastic. So like basically like every other rope manufacturer as well. And when did they when did they get into um, arborist ropes? You might have said it, but say it again. What, what, how long have they been doing uh, climbing line for tree care? The arb industry of course started, I think in 2015, it started completely with uh, the release of their first climbing harness, like the, it's a, called the koala. So like yeah, a little bit related to trees. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's where, where they started with, I think two ropes, the harness, the bags already had been on the market. They already did some ropes for rope access, I think. And, but that's when they, when they started, I met them as well, like on a trade show and like because Peter and me have been in exchange, like we, I'm, uh, I started as an ambassador as well, and then like slowly have been diving deeper and deeper into the company. Like both us, uh, both of us get got invited uh, to France to visit like the the factory. Like all ropes uh, are made in France, so that makes them pretty much like fair trade ropes and uh, like fair wages and everything. It's like really really nice vibe about the company. And uh, family owned since I think seven generations now. Really That's nice pretty company. notable. That's a very notable trait for a company. I hope that they can uh, continue that, keep on passing that down. So with uh, with um, Arbor's gear made in Europe and now coming into Canada, uh, and Peter, do you want to kind of cross the border and bring your uh, your presence into the United States? Um, we all offer operate under different you know, uh, regulations, safety standards. How, how, is, how is coming into the United States going to affect your manufacturing if it's done in Europe or even Canada? Um, so there's a selection of ropes that are on the market right now that have gone through the ANSI testing. Um, so anything that we want to supply into the North American market has also been tested to the standards here. Um, so it, it, that's why, again, it's taken a little bit of time and, and people aren't really aware of the brand because it's, it's so new coming over here. So that's where we, we're slowly building that up and, and gaining momentum as people get their hands on, on this gear. But yeah, no, everything is, is tested to the standard where it's being sold. So. That makes a lot of sense. That's probably a, you know, a breath of relief for you guys <laughs> having to push south from Canada. And then if you have gear that isn't compliant, then it's not going to get very far. So that's good to know. And yes, I'm going to have to admit my ignorance on the Corent brand. You, you said that the, uh, the brand has been working in tree care and arbor supply for, well, several years since 2015. And yeah, here I am in the United States and uh, maybe I just don't get outside enough, but um, I, I'm, I'm pretty unfamiliar with it, but I'm very interested in seeing how you can uh, come into the market, what, what different um, products that you can offer, what you know, advantages they will have or you know, similarities, comparisons. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to getting, uh, getting my hands on some of your gear. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So if the two of you were together, like if you guys decided to go on a rec climb or just start exploring with some of the current gear or any other gear, if you guys were in the same place at the same time and you're looking at a beautiful widespread sturdy white oak, let's say, what would be the first inclination you two would have as far as what you would do with this tree how would you access it uh, is it going to be you know let's assume it's a recreational climb or maybe even a production climb but 
I'm just curious, with your two brilliant brains standing in the same place, picture, you know, paint this imaginary picture for us on how, how you would approach this white oak. I mean, I know it all comes down to what your purpose is. So give me a purpose, an imaginary purpose, and then set up a scenario for us. Let's uh, maybe do two different perspectives. Let's maybe Peter does his and I do mine from our standards and it would be good. Peter, you want to start or should I start? Or? I, you, you, you start, that's fine. I would say we look like the white oak, um, uh, we just get, get out the dead. When we appear on site, we just like do a first check of the site, have a walk around the tree. We always do a risk assessment before we start working, like everybody Get us together like if we're with two climbers and one ground person then we check the area we check the garden first we talk with the customer or like if, it, if there's no customer we check the ways um, we have our risk assessment paper which uh, states like also always has like the 911 like we have 112 um, and the the it says the address is on top um, like we have a short like a little field where we can uh, make a scribble of the way like how to get to the tree then we have the phone number like two phone numbers on there to like to reach us in case of an accident we put on the paper what we are doing during that day and once this is filled out we gather our gear like get it out of the car have a look what do we need like do we need like a pole saw do we need how many how many ropes do we need then we start like setting up our access lines and once again talk about the job like where to put the branches if we chip them or like if they stay on site and then we enter the tree by access line and set up uh, either our like SRT lines on in the top or our double line. I know it's like SRS and MRS now. Yeah, that's like how we would know, like right? our... It's like, what are we going to call them tomorrow? You know, everything's <laughs> changing. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Cool, yeah. keep going. It's, yeah, it's basically about like the first check if the tree is stable to climb. If not, like we have to get a lift. But like sometimes, you know, it's like not possible to get a lift and you have to make it make it work somehow and but we always just like we set up the access line first and then go up the tree and like work our way through the tree but always with two people like over here we uh, we are like forced to have to, two people like that are on equal level equal level arborist like with uh, all the permissions and uh, all the courses you need like we have like a basic uh, it's two levels. It's the A and the B. The A allows you to just climb the tree and use a handsaw, and the B level uh, you can uh, attend the course. It's like always just a five-day course, climbing courses. And the B level allows you to use a chainsaw in the tree. And but we, I think, the industry over here is splitting it up now into three courses. So you have level A, B, and C, and. B will be like pole fellings and C will be like uh, complicated rigging scenarios and everything. Wow. Make the people a little bit more safe. We had a lot of accidents by people that like attended the, like a lot of uh, like break, tops breaking because the people have been measuring their weight wrong or like they set the anchors too thin. And that's like, these are the results that we have like now three courses. Uh, also, we have like a risk assessment course before you uh, have your first climbing course. So to know the risk you're talking about and to how to attend a tree and how, how to like 
have a look how it's stable or if it's stable. These these qualifications are these um, uh, country mandated, nationally mandated in France, or is this a European mandate? How is this uh, regulation monitored? No, this is only for Germany. Like we have oh, like for Germany. A, I'm sorry, you're in Germany. Sorry. Yeah, we, so we have so, like a, so it's a national regulation for Germany. Yeah, we have like all over Europe, you have different rules, but all are kind of like same, same, like a little bit different. Like for example, in, in France, for example, you, I think it was like that you don't need uh, chainsaw pants uh, during a felling, but you need these uh, chainsaw gaffs for the arm. But yeah, we are, we are forced like for when, once we have a chainsaw in hands, we, we need chainsaw boots and chainsaw pants and a steel core lanyard. Oh, steel core, wow. Interesting, very interesting. All right, so Josh is in the tree. Peter, uh, give us the same, or give us, you know, you're at the same imaginary white oak. Um, tell us any differences or similarities that you would experience when you're setting up to climb this imaginary white oak. Yeah, so what Josh, the first section of Josh uh, speaking, do a risk assessment, have your tailboard talk with your crew, that's all the same, um, but, Again, this is one of the reasons why we started the one, two, tree chat was to compare differences from North America to Germany um, or even Canada uh, to Germany. Um, and then USA gets lumped in with it that here in, here in Canada, we don't need to have an access line in the tree. Uh, so typically we would just go once we've done all our risk assessment, our tailboard talk, uh, we would just access the tree and we would work off that line. But what I'm trying to uh, do and talk about here is the benefits of having a dedicated access line uh, in case of rescue. It makes it a lot easier for the ground person, especially if they're equal climber, like Josh mentioned, that they can ascend to that climber that's in distress uh, very quickly. So sorry to interrupt, but so Josh, when you were talking about setting an access line, you're talking about setting a line beside your climbing line in addition to your climbing line. Yeah, it's just like we we are, we're kind of like forced to have it. Um, it's for the rescue case. We we set an access line. It's just like one line that stays at the same spot the whole day you're in the tree, and all climbers approach the tree through through this line. Again, so just walk me through it. So you're climbing only the access line, perhaps using a safety lanyard to help you get up the trunk, uh, but you're not also then tied in with a separate climbing line. Is that correct? No, you, you go up the access line and you tie yourself in uh, when you reach the top. Ah, you switch like, over. Got it. Yeah, got that's it. where you sit. Like you, you, you have your climbing line on your harness. Like either, like I, I made a technique where I bring up my uh, SRT line because I refer to as a T nowadays, um, but also for double line, you just like bring up your friction saver and then set it up in the canopy and then you can work, start your work from the, from the top to the bottom. I, I see what you're doing. So then Peter, you're, you're climbing a climbing line that has been set in the tree and you're recommending an additional access line. Did I get that right? Yeah, so basically we have an access line. We toss that in the tree that we access the canopy from that dedicated line that stays in the tree the entire time. You ascend that access line. We can call it a rescue line after the fact. 
um, or if you're going to have multiple climbers in the tree, they all access that line and then set up their either their SRS system on another location in the tree or their MRS system with friction saver. All so right, it just it allows, allows quick access into the canopy uh, for all the climbers, uh, whether you're having multiple uh, tree climbers in a tree doing the job. But the, the main thing to hit home is the, the ability for a quick rescue or to get to a climber that's in distress. So this is this is in preference to setting a climbing line in the tree and a climbing line ascend or a climber ascending <clears throat> that <clears throat> pardon me not a, not a dedicated access line but a his climb his or her climbing line <clears throat> and then in addition to that so um back to so I'm just trying to understand a climber like so in the United States it's very common for a climber to set a climbing line that he or she works off of in whatever configuration, you know, in addition with a, a safety lanyard. And then if there is a problem, if there is a rescue, then often we have to facilitate an aerial rescue with the climber tied into the climbing line, which makes it complicated, I'm guessing. And so having a, a dedicated access line where rescue is, is made uh, is probably, you know, a, a step one, step you know, a step forward in, in, you know, safety and prevention, rather than having the climber ascend and work from one line. But now, so here's a question though. So even though I have an access line and I'm now switched over in the canopy to an SRS or whatever system I'm in, if I, if I have an accident in a tree and I'm unconscious or I'm unable to, to self-rescue, uh, so, so then, uh, EM, not EMS, but an experienced climber would ex access the access line and be able to assist me in the canopy without having to me rely on rescuing myself if I was injured. I'm kind of getting Correct. that right, right? So that's kind of right. Yeah. My so big question is: We're in this giant imaginary white oak that is spreading. You've set an access line, and I think Josh said it stays there all day. But if I'm, you know, if I'm removing the tree or if I'm, you know, moving it around, then my landing zone is going to change. Where I position myself on the tree is going to change. Uh, what if I'm 30 feet away from the access line? Or is that just at least one way to get up? It's, it's the, the way to get up. You basically go up the access line, set, set your, like you have, we always have like a rescue backpack where we have a, like a second system. Then we go go up the access line, set up a friction saver or like a, again an SRS line, and then we just like follow the way of the injured person. Like in the best case, we have like can approach the person from the top, so we can just like like make a redirect, go down and go down with the with the same system. Like you like just like hook us together and then just go down together if the climbing line of the injured person is uh, all right. In in case it's not all right, we need to make make up a pickup rescue and like uh, make up uh, like uh, give a little bit of redundancy to our system so we're not stuck on the same hitch and uh, get go down together like have a figure of eight or a rope wrench on top or or like like whatever tool you prefer for rescue. We have we have uh, one time a year or like at least two at least one time a year we have rescue courses over here like every climber needs to attend a rescue course so we train these kind of scenarios 
And I'm, I also work for a climbing school, like I'm uh, teaching climbing students. So that's like, it's, it's a huge like topic for me, like to, for prevention, like the, the better the teaching, the better the prevention. Peter, do you have anything to add on that, onto that? Uh, no, I, that's pretty much hitting it, hitting it home. And, and like, like I said before, just really comparing our, our way of climbing to other people's way of climbing in the world and trying to find out what's the best for everybody. So that's where we, this whole topic started uh, on Instagram with the one, two, three chat. This was our first topic because we really believe in, in this uh, system, having it in the tree for, for the time it takes to put a dedicated line in the tree and, and keep it close to the trunk. So it's out of the way is minimal time, but that little bit of time that to set it up. And if there was to be an accident in the tree, you're not trying to get into that tree uh, with a throw ball or have to spike the tree when it's not needed to be spiked. But, so it's just just bringing home that uh, the benefits of having access lines in the trees over here. Sure, it's a, an incredibly important topic, and I'm I'm very glad that you guys are pushing it forward onto the uh, you know front burner of attention in our industry. Uh, we certainly don't train aerial rescue often enough, uh, with under the you know the premise that work comes first, production first, you know bringing that that paycheck first. Uh, you know, that happens in, in many industries where we get so focused on the end result that we we forget, you know, how to get to, to the end result with good training. So um, hopefully, hopefully your message will reach the ears of uh, people who need to hear it. Um, but at some, so again, something that Josh said. So in Germany, uh, we have same level competencies uh, required for uh, the climber and then somebody rescuing the climber in an incident. Um, elsewhere, Canada, maybe, I'm not sure, but in the United States, often an experienced climber is working with an untrained uh, climber or a ground operator who is not trained in climbing. So how, does an, how is an access line gonna help on a crew without two trained climbers or can it? Well, if you don't have two trained climbers, an access line isn't really going to help, to be honest. It need, you need to have qualified guys on the ground as well. And I know over here, like you mentioned, it's the same thing here in Canada. You might have the one climber in the tree and then you have two grounds people that aren't climbers. But that's where, you know, we need to start uh, training some of these ground uh, workers because they're they're just as important as the climber. Um, the climber can't get the work done without the ground person and the ground person can't get their job done without the climber. So if we can work together and and train those ground workers in some aerial rescue and like you mentioned we don't train it enough. Uh, I know I think in Canada it needs to be trained like needs to be documented once a year but at a minimum, we should be doing this every three months as the crew, just so everyone stays fresh on it. And that's I where agree. you're going to be able to, yeah, and then you'll be able to um, train those other ground people in aerial rescue. They may not have any interest in being a tree climber and doing the work there, but at least you know your grounds uh, workers could perform an aerial rescue successfully. So set up a set up a, an imaginary scenario where we have a, a, a semi-trained or a, a you know basic level 
uh, ground operator trained in basic level climbing or, or rescue, probably not with an access line, but set up a, a scenario where, you know, uh, not entry level, but with that basic level of climbing ground operator would be able to assist a climber, an injured climber. Do you want to go? Yeah. Does that make sense? Where, um, where we have a, we've done our three months training with a ground operator who's not a climber and there's an incident an, an aerial incident, the climber can't self-rescue. How is this uh, ground operator who has basic training? How would they be able to like, what is the scenario? A basal lower lowering from basal or a, what, what type of a rescue would that ground operator be able to perform? I think you can make up different scenarios, but it really comes down to the to the point that there should be like two same same experience uh, people on site. Because like when when you just like have a ground person, like even like Im imagine the the thing you have like a, an SRS line <clears throat> with a base anchor with a lowerable base anchor, uh, and the climber like cut himself with a chainsaw in the arm. It's cool that you can lower him from the ground, but normally you have the lanyard around the branch when you cut with the chainsaw. And this fact already brings it down to like, either he will, he or she will bleed to death or uh, you have to call a hide rescue team, but the hide rescue team won't be there in like the next 15 to 20 minutes. Plus then they don't know the ways how to approach the tree. I have been attending uh, the Grimp day. It's like a, area like it's a height rescue competition and one stage they had the uh, to rescue a tree climber and no team of them like it has been like 11 teams or like 20 i think but no team made it under 30 minutes and they uh they they the incident was uh, an arteria in the arm hit and like you have 10 minutes maximum like if the person is not holding up the arm like you have even less And for this, it's just like you need to ex two experienced persons on site, like uh, with a groundie only. It's just like not really working. Sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, that'd be fantastic. So uh, so we need some help here on the uh, um, Western side of the world, uh, getting to the point where we could have uh, two qualified climbers on every job site. Um, you know, we have, you know, hard time finding people to, to come into this industry. And then when they do, they get enough climbing experience that they, they leave a company and then they go start their own. So then we have to start over. So what, is there any advice that you can give us here in the Western world um, that we can move our, our tree care companies to a place where we have two qualified climbers? Oh, yeah, it comes over here. We have like a huge fluctuation as well. Like that, like we have like young people attending the job. Um, staying for three years then getting like either bored and going to study or like uh, going self-employed and starting their own business but still uh, we have like good networks like it's a nice like i call always call it scene like the arborist scene over here it's like we have i think 14 000, uh climbers in germany like that was the last number i heard With the A license, and I think two or two thousand to four thousand have a registered B license, but there are definitely more that are working in the trees, and like because you can just buy the equipment and just go and go and prune some trees, like that's also like. But it all comes down to education. 
like education and fair payment like you, you like yeah. the person that is paid like fair will never never leave the company and the person that you like offer proper education and um, like as a boss like with a tree care like only a small tree like let, let's take like five people in the tree care company um a team of like two climbers one groundy one lift uh, operator and if you educate them properly send them to courses like send them to the tcaa conference and uh, tell them like have a look at the gear have a look around like and everything like like invite them for it or like there's so many models that you can just like pay pay your uh, uh, workers like more than just with money like with proper gear and education it's also a payment and happy people don't leave that's good yeah. advice i hope we can uh we can take that and employ that is that the same for you in canada peter where you're having yeah a... it, it's the same thing here like to to keep if you want to say good workers um i know lots of companies that keep keep employees for a very long time and a lot of those companies employ what josh just said uh, they educate, they send their employees, whether it's two or 10 to conferences, whether it's ISA, TCIA, our local chapter puts on stuff, um, even uh, Vermeer days to, to educate all those, uh, the workers, whether they're the, the lead climber, the ground guy, the bucket operator, they all should be trained at the same level so that in the case of an emergency, they're all able to perform that rescue. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. In a perfect world, and we are heading toward a perfect world, slowly but surely, but in a perfect world, that would be uh, ideal for any company, absolutely. I'm still think, I'm thinking about the access line, guys, so I wanna get back to some technicalities or some techniques about the access line. Um, what do we need to know when we're setting an access line? Um, the first thing that jumps to my mind is if it's used in rescue, that the anchor point needs to be able to withhold, you know, the, at least the body weight of two people. What yeah. else, or, or it, maybe I, I don't have that right, but let's, let's talk about the access line itself. Yes, you, you, need, you need to know like, like which devices will you take to like approach the T. Like it, then it comes to like, when you know the device you will go, do you use a 10 millimeter? Do you use 10.5, 11 or 11.5? Like most of the stuff works good on 11 or 11.5. Um, then you need to know like the forces, like you have like hundred kg at the base anchor, hundred kg weight of the climber. You have 200 kg on the top. If you have like a, a base anchor, if you make a canopy anchor and like throw, throw, a, throw on a butterfly and pull it up, it's like a little bit more work, but you have the same force uh, up there than down. Like it, it also comes down to education. This is stuff we teach in the in the basic uh, five day training course. All the people are like, I always say that all the people after the course, they are able to not kill themselves in the tree, but they still need more education because they are tree climbers. They are not yet arborists. You would get those uh, fig, uh, configurations before the job even proceeded like you would get you would get a you know figure out how, how much weight calculate how much weight the anchor point would hold uh if it was a canopy anchor or a basal anchor you would have that knowledge beforehand so that you weren't surprised if you did have to use it uh an access line with two people is that correct you would get these you would make that estimate beforehand yeah it's all yeah. just like it, it all 
goes down to like I think we we have a guessing job. Like it's like the arborists are like we we don't have like uh, rated anchor points, but it all comes down. We have like a very good guessing job, and uh, we're all very good in that. That would be something like during your risk assessment or your tailboard talk, um, you can discuss with the crew. Okay, in case of emergency, we're gonna we need to have an anchor point that could, depending on the tree uh, and species, uh, we need to look for an anchor point that potentially could handle uh, a two-person rescue on one line. So those are all things done prior to. And obviously it, it's like Josh said, it's, it, it is, we don't work off engineered uh, rated points. It all uh, comes down to really our best judgment. And again, if you access that access line and you get to the top and you notice, oh, wow, there's actually a big cavity in here. This isn't gonna hold two people. That's where you can all, as you're ascending, you're also, uh, or, you're inspecting the tree what is what i'm trying to say as as you ascend so if there is any defects in the tree and you have to make a, an adjustment that's when you can but it really comes down to the the knowledge of the the lead hand if you want to call it that's uh on, on the job site or or the boss whoever is running that site should have that that knowledge but again if we take these uh tree care companies and we educate uh, all of your employees, they all should know that, okay, that, that anchor point would be strong enough or make a suggestion or see that, oh, wait, you know what? That anchor point doesn't look like it would be. I think maybe we should go down one to a larger diameter. So that, that's, again, where the tailboard talk and the education part of it for all employees, uh, it would be a benefit. Yeah, also when some, like when, when one climber of the crew has like doubt, you always go with the doubt. You, you, you don't like go like, yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't have doubt. We do it anyway. Like I'm, I'm the big cowboy and I'm going up there and like, uh, I will prove you wrong. It's just like you go with the doubt and uh, then you just like, you take care of like, like of the smallest uh, amount always, just like always go by the doubt. When in doubt. Cut it out. That's what I say when I'm pruning. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. can't, can't apply that across the, the board, especially to, to rescue. Um, so this is yeah. really great information, especially for, for like new people or people just coming into the field or just trying to get a, a handle on access line rescue. And you're talking about crew training. Uh, give us a give us kind of a scenario of, of your first explanation of access line rescue to a new crew, like a crew that has hired you and they just really don't have any idea. How would you explain access line, you know, setting an access line, picking the anchor point, at using the access line when it comes into play, you know, kind of just give me like a, a, an elevator talk if possible around access line information. Yeah, so it would really just start with uh, at the tail board talking about, okay, this is how we're setting up the tree we're going to have an access line, whether I'm setting a canopy anchor or a base anchor and let the crew also know the difference between the two, the positives and the minuses. With the canopy anchor, you have less chance of being cut out of the tree. If you are on that, that base anchor and something happens on the ground, you have a limb that's close to the, 
to the, the trunk and you, you have a ground worker with a chainsaw, you could nick that and that compromises your, your base anchor for rescue. So really hitting home the differences between the two and when one is better than the other um, during the tailboard. Uh, and then you either have your dedicated rescue bag set up there. You can go over what's in it, the kit, so that the entire crew knows, okay, this is a device that you're going to go up the access line. Here's everything you need uh, to ascend into the canopy. Um, and then if you need to bring an extra line with you, if the line is compromised or if uh, you need to bring extra friction, uh, if you're doing a pickoff, all those would be discussed prior to leaving the ground. You got anything else to add, Josh? No, it's pretty much, pretty much it. Like I, I would start it like, uh, when you, when I work with new crews, it's always that I just start like, Hey friends, like. This is the tree. This is the risk assessment. We're going to set an access line. Uh, this is the way how to do a rescue. Um, like, I may take the lead or somebody else. If you want, like, go up first. Like, if there's like the cavity, like Peter says, then we reset the line. The like the the access or rescue line is just basically just like I. You can use like an inline anchor point in this in this climbing line. Then you have uh, you use the same anchor point for the two people for a pickup rescue or something like that. Or you set your own climbing line with the rescue bag or like with your normal climbing equipment. But yeah, I would, I would just like explain the normal workday, and like it all comes down to risk assessments and like having a close look to the tree and knowing that you're like working with this uh, living creature and uh, like knowing how like forces and trees work and like that you just like when you pull up a branch towards you it snaps easier than when you walk on it and stuff like that rescue is a lot of like uh, knowing what you're doing exactly you certainly don't want uh, someone who doesn't know what they're doing looking at a you know a basil anchor with a pocket knife <laughs> you yeah. don't want you don't want that taking place but let's talk about the rescue bag so you guys have mentioned that several times um, what attention do we need to give to the rescue bag? We talk about regular rescue training, but do we, what, what's our inspection rate for that bag? How often do we inspect it? How do we store it? We don't want to store it where it's going to get moldy and wet. So let's talk about what's in the bag and what, what we need to know about that. We have like several bags over here. We have like one bag that's invented by like a uh, tree care dealer or like by their climbing school, it's called the rescue banana. It uh, looks like it has like a little bit of a banana shape and uh, it sits on your hips. You can store like 60 meter climbing line of it. It has two, um, two ways to open on each side and you can store like a climbing device on each side. Um, I use a Coran bag for it. That is like a backpack. It opens from the top and from the bottom. So I have a, have a 60 meter climbing line with two uh, uh, not stitched ice with two uh, two spliced ice on it and have like a, two friction savers one on each side already with a with the like the pull cherry on uh, on it and with a, with a ready system like you go up the tree you set your uh, your your anchor point um, start climbing then you can start like uh, at, when you're at the victim you can attach the victim with the with the other end of the climbing line and 
like bring bring the victim to the other system as well and then you can just like go back to the trunk like uh, do a traverse and the inspection rate yeah we like get it out like from time to time and have a look it, like if it's if it stays in the car you can go by the recommendation of the manufacturer like if you have a rope that like you have to throw away after five years you throw it away after five years or bring it into a kindergarten that they can play with it or like a forestry garden or whatever like you can just like get rid of the rope and buy a new one if you have 10 years then after 10 years but i think you will exchange it earlier well let's hope so let's hope that bag is being inspected more frequently and and you said on you know inspect it once in a while or regularly you don't have a you know like every three months or uh, a calendar date for it you just try to remember when to inspect it or how we, do you we have to have ppe inspection uh, inspection once a year like we have a like a, a proper educated person either yourself if you did the course or like a proper educated ppe inspector needs to check your gear like once a year and then you get like like a piece of paper that says this and this is in quarantine till it's fine then you have to show it again or like this and this needs to like be thrown away because it's not functional anymore or like everything gets checked and everything's fine but like one once a year you have to do it that makes sense this, i love yeah. the efficiency of your of your bag too your banana bag sounds really efficient peter yeah that's the same here once a year um, now, what I would say, again, we said earlier, we don't train enough on aerial rescue. So it, it, you, if you put that into your uh, monthly, or not monthly, but uh, three-month calendar for training, uh, you, then you can inspect all your, your stuff at that point as well. Um, stuff for in it really comes down to the crew. Um, if, if everyone's a certain type of climber, then you're going to have that specific system in it that everyone knows how to use. And that's what you train on. So what, what's in my kit is going to be different than what's in Josh's kit. Um, uh, and then different to someone else's kit. It's, it's what you, you and your crew train to and are comfortable with to, to perform an aerial rescue. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So we talked about the bag a little bit, and we're talking about the uh, access line uh, installation. Um, what part does first aid play in any of your rescue scenarios, or, or are we mostly just concerned about the, the mechanics of getting the person down? Over here, we have like the rescue chain. It's like uh, also in the risk assessment, you say like who's responsible for the work site, and then you always say like if you're with three people on the work site two climbers one one runs person they call the ambulance the second climber goes up or is already in the tree performs the rescue and like first aid is like always we have like little first aid kits on the on the harness and have a bigger first aid kit in the car like for for everything some people have a tourniquet uh, on their harness but most of them are not trained with this device uh, or Israeli bandages or like stuff, but most of them just don't like they buy it, but they don't know what it is. And hopefully they would never need it. But like, yeah, you perform like a like short first aid. Like if you have a bleeding person, you just like wrap anything like or make like a pressure bandage um, to stop the bleeding. But 
the first thing is to bring the injured person down. So the like hopefully all the already like the emergency or rescue service already arrived and can perform perform the proper first aid. Like I've been on these high rescue uh, competitions like the last like I've been on two competitions and that showed me that we're definitely not really good prepared for first aid. Like if we have like a broken leg in the tree, we're gonna traumatize the victim by bringing bringing him or her down and crashing them through the tree. Like we, it's basically just a crash rescue what we do. It's just like bring the person down as quickly as possible. And we're not trained properly enough. Like I said, like the best arborist would be like a voluntary fireman or firewoman that knows how to perform first aid on an injured person and also knows how to rescue the person. Yeah, I, um, I agree with Josh. Um, every Most climbers will have the small pouch on, on their harness, have a, a, a larger first aid kit on, on the ground. Um, but same thing during your tailboard talk um, or risk assessment. Part of that is, okay, I'm up in the tree. Uh, this person, you call 911. This person, you're going to perform the aerial rescue and in hopes that you're able to get to the, the, the victim, uh, patient, bring them down. But like Josh said, we don't train enough for first aid uh, in the tree. Uh, again, that's more education for your your crew uh, to learn uh, specific first aid, not just basic first aid. There are other courses out there that uh, can help, um, like backcountry first aid courses, where that's kind of what's going to happen in in a tree. Uh, how do you uh, bandage a, a cut up and get the person down at the same time? Um, but yeah, it's, it's really comes down to trying to get that person to the ground as, as gently as possible, but as quickly as possible. You got to do what you got to do. I mean, is, if the option is to crash them through a tree to get them down in a hurry or to leave them up there for three hours while the fire department figures it out, it's, and it's all on site, it's all in the moment and everyone's intentions are for the best. So you have to make these evaluations, these snap decisions. And like you said, you know, with more training comes more knowledge and, and more options. So I, I iterate what both of you are saying is that we need more training. We need more attention to um, these accidents that are taking place and how to prevent them, or at least how to mitigate them if they do take place. So uh, the three of us can band together and change the industry. <laughs> we'll start with this podcast. <laughs> For sure. And I'm, I've pretty much dominated the whole conversation. So now I'm going to let you guys kind of, you know, talk freely about the points that you wanted to make about access lines or if we haven't covered them. Uh, what else do we need to consider? I think we pretty much covered like everything with the questions you asked. It's like really was really good, like leading. Uh, basically yeah you can just like like have up to eight people in the tree like climbing up the same line and uh, setting up their lines just like that's like the concept of the access line is just like it's there to access the tree stay in the tree for like prevention like that people are aware that there's an access line and uh, that they can go up 
it's also like if you're with one person climbing and the rescue crew is, is coming to attend they already know that there's an access line it's just like over here it's kind of sad you have people that don't do it that's like or like that people that uh, srt or srs a, a tree and only said one line then then it's also very hard to rescue that that person but yeah i think we pretty much said everything with, with by the questions yeah i i, I agree it just really just hitting home the importance uh, of having an access line uh, for that little bit of extra time to to do that. The the benefits uh, definitely outweigh the the time necessary to to set a, an extra line in the tree. Absolutely, especially when you're panicking or there's screaming and blood or something, and you're not. It's very difficult to. To, to have to start over and set a line, test the, the anchor point, what if it fails? And yeah, it's a very chaotic time to be, uh, you know, thinking about your rescue if something is happening in the canopy and you're not already set up, you're not already prepared. So uh, I'm right there with you. That access lines sound like a very useful implement in our industry and we should be training much more on its use, on first aid, uh, trauma first aid, um, all these things that we talked about. So Peter, Josh, I want to give you guys a chance to talk about your Instagram live. If you want to let people know a little bit more about that as well. Oh yeah. Peter, you want to start why, why we started and yeah. Yeah. So with, uh, Josh and I, we talk all the time. Uh, and then we came up with this idea of the, uh, one, two tree chat to do live Instagram, uh, topics uh we started with aerial uh, rescue access lines and we've done climbing devices chainsaw pants um it's really just to bring uh an open forum no uh dumb questions anyone can ask anything and just bring some more safety topics and and, and chat to the industry um, we try to have like a giveaway and maybe team up with different manufacturers, depending on the topic, um, to give away something for, for the listeners as well. Um, so it's, it's really about just spreading some good vibes, um, keeping everyone safe and just having fun with it. Yeah. It, like the idea came because like Peter and me already like talked like frequently and, uh, always just like how do you do this how do you do that like the questions like we were just shooting questions towards each other because like both like like we're both arborists but like from totally different worlds and uh we we have been comparing standards and then we thought like it's like more well, it might be interesting for like a, a wider audience and like maybe people are like interested in our like talks and we started and like had like with i think with the first uh first talk about access lines we had like 4500 views or so like it, it also like we we don't want to educate the people we just like we're like we we talk about stuff we have a very nice level of talking to each other like we hear each other out um some, sometimes we interrupt each other but then then it's just like more in a funny way <laughs> and we, we just listen to each other and plus we we always try to get the audience involved like we have like uh, tried like we we announce it really early um they can ask us questions in advance they can also ask just questions like some like the i think the, which which talk was the longest i think about climbing devices it was 72 minutes or so yeah yeah 
but that was just like it was really hilarious i was sit, sitting on the on the porch of my parents house and had like a, a line set up where i had like eight to ten different climbing devices and we're pulling them down like frequently and like peter explained one device i explained one device we like advantages disadvantages like how do you use it then we had like a little giveaway with uh, when we talked about climbing harnesses we asked the people to just like show us like a friend that is in need of a of a new harness and we got like horrible pictures of harnesses um and like then, then the people get like got like hand selected and uh, we selected the people that had the worst harnesses like we we can't like uh, provide everybody but like with the with the sponsors that help us um out it's always really really nice and we're really thankful that like manufacturers help us with this to spread awareness of safety yeah i think that's all awesome and do you guys have a regular schedule that you go off of we were doing it trying to do it every month we would do a talk but we both got incredibly busy over the last i think two or three months i think two months we haven't done one for two months um but we definitely it's not it's still on our radar to do uh just we're we're crazy busy at the moment but we do have something uh in store to do one definitely in december so people will want to uh catch that one for sure